It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning and welcome to Get Rid of Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Flow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIVIC. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. Hopefully, this is going to be a great weekend. Two days of sunshine and Higher temperatures, the temperatures are moving up. My backyard is full of flowers. The tulips bloomed this week. The daffodils and hyacinths are still looking good. And the trees are starting to leaf out. The leaves are still tiny, but, you know, uh, soon they'll, they'll really leaf out. And when, now where I can look for, a, I can see for a mile, so maybe next week I'll only be able to see to the next tree. The next tree. But it's great to get outside and see Mother Nature's wonders. Everything is growing, making all these April showers worthwhile. It's the slow we got to do is stop there for flowers. <laughs> Just get into the many flowers. And, 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 and if we can suck indoors, you know, if any showers come along, then we can check on our investments and see what's uh, helping you there, what's happening there. And see what our financial plan looks like. This week, global equity markets were mostly down. In the U.S., the three major stock indices were down big time for the week. In the U.K., the FTSE 100 was down, while in the, UK, in the European Union, Germany's DAX and the stock uh, Europe uh, 600 were both down for the week. In Asia, Japan's uh, uh, and EK225 was up, while China's Shanghai Composite and Hong Kong's Hang Seng were both down for the week. On Friday, the three major stock indices closed at, the Dow Jones closed at 33,811.40, and that was down 1.86% for the week. 
The Standard and Poor 500 closed at 4,271.78, and it was down 2.75% for the week. And the NASDAQ Composite uh, closed at 12,839.29, and that was down 3.83% for the week. So what you saw was a, a lot of volatility last week particularly at the end of the week. And it's, it's been volatile basically for the last uh, several weeks. You know, the, the, the market, the, well, for instance, you just take a look at the standard and poor 500, take those up and down about uh, from peak to trough 2% in any particular day. And, uh, uh, you know, volatility increased significantly this week, particularly on Thursday and Friday. Uh, the catalyst came Thursday when the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell outlined his uh, most aggressive approach to taming inflation, you know, potentially potentially endorsing two or more half percent uh, point increases uh, while describing the labor market as overheated. Chairman Powell said that, quote, I would say that 50 basis points would be on the table for the May meeting. And the May meeting is going to be, I think, the 3rd and 4th of May, about a little over a week away. And uh, he said that at at an international monetary uh, uh, fund-hosted panel uh, on Thursday in Washington, uh, where he shared the the podium with uh, European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde, and other officials, you know, he can he continued with demand for workers is quote too hot, you know it's unsustainably hot unquote. So Chairman Powell uh, then went on to reinforce expectations for another half percent uh, increase in June by citing minutes from the uh, last month's uh, policy meeting that was in mid-March, it said many officials had noted one or more 50 basis point hikes would be appropriate to curb the hottest inflation in four decades. So uh, the chairman uh, also reiterated that the Federal Reserve officials were committed to a, quote, front-end loading inflation-fighting effort, unquote. Well, the real words were... We really are committed to using our tools to get 2% inflation back, uh, Chairman Powell said at uh, Thursday's uh, IMF meeting with the, uh, uh, the other officials, the front-end loading comment, together with the calls from the uh, Federal Reserve St. Louis Bank President, uh, James Bullard. He was calling for a three-quarters of a percent increase at the May meeting. And uh, uh, so all this talk about, hey, we're going to wrap up uh, these uh, increases uh, and front-end load them is beginning to scare investors. Uh, Presently, investors are are betting on a half a percent increase in May, half a percent increase in June, and possibly July, raising yields in in, – this, this this talking about increasing the rates has increased the uh, 
the bond yields and also unsettled the stock market uh, with the uh, Standard & Poor Index closing down approximately 1.5% Thursday and 2.75% on Friday. So if the Fed does their three, one, three steps of one half of a percent each step, uh, this would raise the federal funds rate or the overnight rate from one half a percent, which it is right now, to two percent before the even before the September uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting. So uh, this gives the Federal Reserve then three more meetings: September, October, November, maybe December, uh, before the end of the year to move the federal funds rate up to maybe two and a half or two and three quarters. So. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things we're seeing is that uh, this front-end loading uh, increases in effort to slow the economy by increasing the credit cost, and that's in addition to the Federal Reserve's bond selling. Uh, they're talking about bond selling. We haven't heard that much about it, but they're going to outline what they're going to do with regard to the bond selling. Uh, when they meet in uh, May, and that is supposed to tighten up the, uh, extract money from the economy and tighten up the economy. The assumption is that the U.S. economy is strong enough to weather these additional burdens of, you know, uh, uh, increases in interest rates uh, together with the headwinds that we now have in terms of inflation, the Russian-Ukrainian war, uh, the sanctions associated with that, the slowing of the global economy, and possibly a resurgence in COVID. So the Federal Reserve's confidence in the strength of the U.S. economy basically comes from, they, they, they also read the government monthly reports. The home construction is still doing well. Uh, commercial uh, construction is doing is picking up too. Manufacturing goods uh, orders and and uh, shipments and inventories uh, and backlogs is doing well. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the show today. That in the service industries, consumer spending and savings are both doing well. Uh, basically, we marked marked about that before. That the government estimates that over this last uh, over the two years. Of the COVID shutdown, the consumer has stashed about an extra $2.5 trillion into their savings accounts uh, because they haven't spent any money and they continued working. And even the unemployed were making more than $50,000 a year. And they weren't spending anything on travel or restaurants or sporting events and things of this, things of this nature. So, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you, they take a look at the inflation results, the consumer price index, and the personal consumption expenditures. Those are both indications of inflation, as well as the uh, as the Federal Reserve puts out also reports on uh, industrial production and capacity utilization. And uh, the Federal Reserve also gets a look at the uh, U.S. economy through its Beige Book, which is a book that's put out about two weeks before the Federal Open Market Committee meeting. And in that Beige Book, there's a uh, it's basically a, a summary of 
uh, commentary on the current economic conditions in each one of the 12 uh, Federal Reserve districts. So <clears throat> the president of that particular Federal Reserve district talks to all the all his contacts that he has in that particular district about labor and uh, cost and things of this nature. And uh, like I say, they, they publish it about two weeks uh, before the Federal Open Market Committee to give the uh, give some uh, aid to the uh, uh, the members at the Federal Open Market Committee meeting. So basically, what the what the base book is showing is that uh, it shows a reasonably strong economy. Uh, the latest results noted that uh, quote based upon information collected before April 11, the U.S. Econo- economic economic uh, Economy activity expanded at moderate, the moderate pace, with several districts uh, reporting moderate employment gains despite hiring and retention tech challenges in the labor market. At the same time, with COVID now under uh, control, uh, consumer spending accelerated among retail and non-retail, uh, non-financial service uh, firms as virus uh, cases tapered across the country. Uh, The report also noted that manufacturing activity was solid uh, overall across most districts, but the usual suspects in supply chain backlogs, labor market tightening, and elevated input costs continue to pose challenges for firms' ability to meet demand. Uh, The worst thing that it it pointed out was that uh, that uh, demand destruction from soaring prices is beginning to emerge and noted that uh, contacts in a few districts, Federal Reserve districts, noted that negative sales impact from rising prices. So maybe that's uh, the genesis of this uh, front-loading uh, process where uh, they see that the sales are falling off because of the increased prices. and. Uh, 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 get these rates up as, as fast as possible to get this inflation under control as fast as possible. So uh, basically, the firms in most districts expect inflationary pressures to continue over the coming months. And uh, we'll get into the details of the base book uh, later in the show, particularly for the uh, Cleveland area. But basically, uh, when you when you step back and look at it, the stock market dropped this week because of regardless of how confident the Federal Reserve is in their plan, it's a strategy that uh, uh, bears considerable risk for for us as workers, uh, company earnings, and the overall growth prospects in the months ahead. As the Federal Reserve and the Fed, it does have risk for the Federal Reserve itself because. Uh, We've got a mid-year congressional election coming up, and inflation is a major concern for most Americans. So investors are probably concerned that the Federal Reserve is changing its emphasis from what it presented in March the 16th uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting, where basically lowering inflation and slowing the economy but avoiding a recession seem to be equal goals. Okay, so, you know, in the late 70s, 
they cured inflation by raising the federal funds rate up to 20 percent. Uh, but that was after five years or 10 years of inflation going up. So and that caused a, a recession. If he had a bad one, too, uh, at this uh, March 16th meeting where they laid out, the Federal Reserve laid out its plan, well, they were going to give equal weight to uh, we're going to slow the economy down, but we're going to realize that if we slow it down too much, we're going to end up with a recession. So we're going to slow it down a little bit and also uh, uh, pay attention to inflation, too. Equal goals. But now the emphasis seems to be on moving the interest rates up fast uh, to cure inflation with less concern about causing a recession. Uh, the unknowns and the resulting confusion have continued to draw uh, the three major, major U.S. stock indices lower since the start of the year, for instance, uh, year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 10.37%. The Standard & Poor 500 is down 10. Point, uh, oh, that's must be something wrong there. Uh, down Standard & Poor 500 was down. Okay, the Dow Jones, I'm sorry. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 6.95% year-to-date. And the Standard and Poor 500 was down 10.37% year to date. And the NASDAQ Composite was down 17.9% year to date. And uh, the bond fund, uh, as the yields increase uh, on anticipation of these increases in rates, uh, what you're seeing is increased losses in the bond uh, fund. So if you're looking at uh, uh, what the Federal Reserve is, is doing in terms of rates, what you're seeing is that the long-term Treasury bond funds are down about 18% year-to-date. You know, those are in the case includes 20, 25-year Treasuries. And then the intermediate-term Treasury bond funds are down about 7.5% year-to-date. So a comforting thought regarding the year-to-date drop uh, in the stock indices is that we've been here before. Uh, we've seen uh, comparable numbers in mid-March. For instance, the, on the week ending March 11th, uh, the Dow Jones was down 9.34% uh, year-to-date. Standard & Poor was down 11.8% year-to-date. And the NASDAQ was down 17.9% year to date. So, and that low point uh, was just before the Federal Reserve presented their plan at the uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting on March 16th. So, uh, after that meeting, the market began to move up again. And uh, I think what we're going to see in the future here is that the uh, after the Federal Open Market Committee meeting in May, what you're going to see is that the market will begin to move up again at that point. Uh, the, the, we do know what their plan is, and basically their plan had three, three uh, 
breaks to it. One was to uh, stop the $120 billion of bond buying, and that happened in March. So that's all done. Then they're going to start increasing the federal funds rate. And at the last meeting, they increased it a quarter of a percent so that the federal funds rate is now uh, one half a percent. And they're going to increase that to 2 percent. Uh, by the end of the year, maybe 1% next year. Uh, and then they're going to, the part we really haven't defined yet, is they're going to start running off some of the bonds that they've accumulated, the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities from Fannie and Freddie that they've been accumulating since 2008. And, uh, but the, the, and they'll, they'll spell out what their bond-buying process or qualitative tightening uh, will look like at this next uh, federal open market committee meeting on May 3rd and 4th. Uh, that's a little over one week away. Uh, the bond selling uh, is supposed to drain the, mo- the money out of the economy and enable the Federal Reserve to shape the uh, uh, longer maturity uh, yields uh, so that if they think that the 20 year isn't going up as fast or as high as they should, well, they can dump uh, 20-year bonds uh, on the market from their portfolio, the Federal Reserve, and uh, hence uh, push the uh, uh, the price of the 20-year uh, uh, bond down and hence push the yield up. Uh, so they can basically use that, that uh, bond selling operation uh, to kind of contour uh, the, uh, the longer maturity rates as well as you know, to what they want them to be. You know, I've seen estimates or really guesstimates that uh, the effect of the bond selling, if, they, uh, if they're selling $600 billion a year in bonds, that would be the equivalent of a 2% increase in the federal funds rate. So I don't think anybody really knows that because we haven't done that yet, but we'll find out about it uh, this summer as we get involved in that. So, you know, uh, if you look at what happened and what is happening, the Federal Reserve is talking about increasing the interest rates faster uh, than uh, the uh, stock market expected. Uh, The stock market reacted to it. Uh, the, but in, in uh, going with the Federal Reserve, uh, I think most people, I'm, I'm betting that the economy is strong enough to prevail against the headwinds. Uh, we've got high inflation, but hey, if we take a look at the uh, inflation numbers, the big jumps in the inflation numbers over the last year have come from uh, fuel and energy and also from food. You know, we look at the uh, energy, uh, gasoline put up by, I think, 40 or 50 percent in the last 12 months, and food's up 10 percent. So those are big items. And uh, uh, we'll see what, and I think they've made their big jumps. So uh, to me, I don't see that much more upside to their jump. Also, you've got increased credit costs. You know, they're going to raise the rate. So if you want to borrow money, it's going to cost. Uh, the latest numbers we see from the 30-year uh, uh, fixed-rate mortgages are four, about 4.2%. Uh, 
uh, versus 3% last year. Uh, and they're going to try to drain this liquidity out of the extra liquidity out of the system with their bond selling. So that is, that possibly will increase the uh, unemployment. Uh, I don't know whether it will or not because the labor market is so tight right now that people are moving around and uh, job shopping all over the place. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if it results in uh, increased unemployment. You know, but you'd have to take a look and say the economy is strong. Again, you got that tight labor market. Uh, there's 10.5 million uh, open positions, more than the number of people that are unemployed. Uh, the number of uh, uh, people that are employed each month is going up to the tune of, I don't know, something close to uh, 475,000 a month. Uh, the unemployment rate is down super lows, 3.6%, and the uh, uh, wages are going up at 5.6% per year. So the labor market's tight. COVID is over. People are starting to get back to normal. Even with regard to the COVID, I see uh, Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer's got their uh, COVID pill, uh, pill, COVID uh, pill. Uh, that'll be uh, in pharmacy soon. So that'll be a big help with regard to the COVID situation. And uh, industrial production, basically for the first quarter of this year, was up 8.1% above the first quarter of last year. Retail sales for the first quarter were up close to 13% from the first quarter of last year. Corporate earnings for the fourth quarter, the standard of four or 500 companies were 75% beat earnings estimates, about 70% beat revenue estimates, and the earnings per share growth was about 8.9% quarter to quarter. And for the first quarter of this year, uh, we're just starting through the first quarter earnings reviews. So we've only had about a week of earnings reviews so far. And uh, for the standard of the board, 575% of the of the companies have topped uh, earnings estimates, and the estimate uh, uh, earnings per share growth is about 8% uh, uh, quarter to quarter, according to uh, Credit Suisse. So the economy is strong, uh, and we'll see, you know, and we talk through the rest of this, this show, we'll see about residential construction, you know, starts are up uh, three-tenths of a percent in uh, March versus February, uh, up close to 4% March compared to March of last year. Uh, you know, to me, uh, the housing construction is in good shape. Existing home sales are down a little bit, you know, uh, down 2.7% from uh, in March from February. But, hey, uh, you're running into affordability questions and also uh, availability uh, of housing. There's not too many houses for sale, and uh, the prices are going up, and the interest rates are going up. So you expect to see uh, existing home sales go down. So all in all, uh, basically, you know, people are shifting their portfolios a little bit. Uh, there's a shift basically from... Uh, the growth to the value stocks, 
And certainly there's a shift out of, uh, uh, in the bond sector, there's a shift from the longer maturities to the uh, ultra-short uh, maturities, you know, shift from uh, intermediate bonds that are in the 8- to 12-year eight to period maturity down to basically uh, treasuries that are in the uh, six-month maturity. So uh, that uh, reduces the loss in those particular uh, sectors. So to me, the economy is in good shape. Uh, we've got inflation, we've got other problems, but uh, can it weather this? I think so. Uh, uh, but how, you know, let's change the subject a little bit and say uh, you should be thinking about your financial plan too. Uh, right now are good times for the consumer in the sense that uh, uh, just about everybody wants a job, has a job. Uh, uh, people have saved up over the COVID time period. Uh, it's time to look around and see if you can find a better job. Uh, so, you know, it's time to put your financial plan in in concrete, so to speak, to write it in the rocks and uh, say, this is what my goals are, and this is what I'm going to do to achieve my goal by taking my income and uh, apportioning it uh, to different areas to support different goals in the future and then investing it properly. So uh, easier said than done, but it's a long, it's a long process. But once you start it and once you do it, You'll have a roadmap for the next for the next twenty, thirty, forty years, and uh, something to compare decisions about whether I should buy this or, or, or and if I do buy this something new, uh, what am I giving up in my present plan? So that's the the, the goal is to uh, not only look at the big economy but also look at our micro economy and our financial plan. So this is Jim Mackley. You're listening to Get Rich Flow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. So you can give us a call, and uh, you can talk about the big picture. You can talk about uh, your picture. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again? 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow.
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAlee. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. is 1-888-281-1110. Hey, Jim. Uh, yes, Colleen. Um, Kathleen just gave us a call, and it's kind of ironic. I was just thinking about this uh, question myself this week. She wants to oh, know... No. How much could we gain if we waited until age 70 in order to collect Social Security? It's a great question. It is a great question because we're all going to face that question sooner or later. You know, there's going to come a time when uh, we can uh, start collecting at 72. uh, It'll reduce the benefits or we can wait. 62, I'm sorry. The longer you wait to collect your benefits, the more money you'll get uh, until you hit the highest possible benefit at basically age 70. So your benefits go up uh, each single month that you wait. Uh, you know, So between the age of 62, you get one benefit, and each month that you uh, don't claim benefits after you get to the age of the age 62, why your benefits will increase by about seven to eight percent per year. So, uh, age 70, uh, your benefits would be about, I'd say, about 76 percent higher than they would be at age 62. So, uh, before you decide when to start collecting, you've got to figure out the differences between, uh, what your benefits would be at age 62 and at basically full retirement age, which is, in most cases, 66 plus some months, or let's say 67, or at age 70. Just uh, And seeing these numbers will help you understand what you're looking at. Uh, you can go on to the uh, Social Security Administration's website, and you can set up an account there, and you'll give you They'll give you an estimate of your benefits at various intervals. So what you're looking for is, what are my benefits at 62? My benefits at 67 are full retirement age, and my benefits at age 70. So uh, the average Social Security payment uh, today is currently uh, $1,660 a month. And basically, the earlier you start, let's say 62, uh, you start receiving your benefits, uh, but you'll be receiving the uh, permanently reduced amount. Plus, but, but you get your cost of living adjustment, and that'll go on for the rest of your life. So if you do choose to get your benefits at 62, you get a certain benefit per month, and that's going to continue constant uh, for the rest of your life, plus the, the plus-ups. Uh, due to inflation. Now, if you wait until your full retirement age, uh, and that's that's different for different people, but uh, for the youngsters, it's age 67, so uh, you'll receive the uh, full Social Security benefit. And at uh, full retirement age, you can earn additional income. And, and that's a, one of the reasons why... Typically, most clients will wait until they get to be uh, full retirement age before they uh, 
uh, draw their Social Security benefits. Uh, if you wait till full retirement age, you you can get a part-time job and, and uh, be decree- be uh, adding to your Social Security benefits. Your, your benefits won't be reduced. Uh, uh, in the case of you uh, claim at age 60, to claim your benefits at age 62, uh, then there are certain restrictions as the amount of money that you can make without uh, reducing your benefits. So uh, you'll probably need to consider, hey, hey, how long do you expect to live? You have to consider your physical health, your financial health, uh, people who don't have enough retirement savings, basically they might need to get into Social Security early. Or if you have to scrimp and save to support yourself, uh, uh, while you wait until full retirement, at, uh, when full benefits kick in at 70, your quality of life might suffer. So uh, it's a personal thing that uh, how's your health? How long do you expect to live? Uh you can claim that 62, and then you start to, you have certain restrictions on how much you can earn. Otherwise, your benefits will get reduced, or you can wait till uh, full retirement age, uh, get your Social Security benefits. So you can say, well, I'm going to go for the maximum. But if you go for the maximum at age 70, uh, you got to figure that, well, uh, you could have gone before age 70, so you gave up benefits that you couldn't have, could have ordinarily put in your bank, and uh, how long do you expect to live? So if you go to age 70, I think, I don't have the exact number, but I think you probably have to live to be uh, maybe 75 or 76 uh, to come out ahead there versus uh, taking your benefits at full at 67 years full retirement age. So there's a lot to be thought about there. And uh, certainly if you don't need it uh, and you got what you call a good health and long, long life genes, uh, you can put it off till age 70. Uh, but if you do need it, well, it's, at age 62, it's there for you, which is a, a big help in retirement. So, uh Take a look at your Social Security numbers. Take a look at your health. Take a look at your needs. And uh, it'll give you a good feeling for all the information that's out there. It'll give you a good feeling for what your correct number is. So thanks for calling. And anybody else who wants to talk, uh, you can give us a call over our social, over our uh, uh, number, which is something like, uh, what's our number, Kelly? I don't have it in front of me right now. All right. <laughs> I I must have slipped off the table there. No, that's okay. okay, Jim. Our number is 888-281-1110. Okay. Thank you very much, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> this is Jim McAlee. You're listening, you're listening to Get Rich Slow. I'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAuley. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, the what the Federal Reserve is doing and the, the dust storm that they kicked up with their um, uh, front end loading of their increased uh, their interest rate increases. But uh, you know, the the, the uh, that beige book that they each one of those 12 uh, presidents of their districts, the Federal Reserve districts, put together uh, indicates that the economy is basically in good shape. Uh, if you take uh, the, in the case of uh, Cleveland, uh, the uh, business activity in the fourth district continues to increase at a, at a modest pace in recent weeks. Demand is uh, was generally positive. Cross currents under the surface were buffeting firms uh, within and across sectors. For example, some consumer-facing uh, contacts, and these when they refer to contacts, these are the people that they're talking to. Uh, reported that spending picked up as concerns over the COVID uh, uh, nineteen uh, subsided while others noted that spending slowed as consumer uh, consumers became more concerned about rising prices. So they take a look at labor market. Uh, employment continues to increase moderately in recent weeks. Uh, firms struggle to uh, find and retain qualified employees. Nearly half the uh, contacts indicated they had increased staffing over the Prior two months, uh, we uh, talked about increases in uh, uh, wages, and uh, apparently uh, businesses have been increasing wages, but now the wage increase, I think, is beginning to slow down because, uh, uh, not because the work isn't there, but because the uh, uh, they're still having, even with increased wages, they're still having difficulty uh, keeping their personnel. So then you talk about uh, freight in the Cleveland area. Uh, demand for freight services declined modest, modestly from high levels, uh, stem from continuing supply chain disruptions, especially at ports, uh, financial services, loan demand, Increased moderately, professional business services activities, the professional and business services remain strong. So they they take a look at each of the twelve uh, uh, Federal Reserve uh, banks around the country, and they talk about real estate, manufacturing, consumer spending, labor costs, and everything else. So they get a picture of. What's going on? And basically, the picture is you got a strong economy, and their judgment is it's strong enough to handle uh, 
this uh, basically surge in uh, interest rate increases. And, and, and basically, I agree, too, because I take a look at all the all the data that comes down the line. Okay, so one of the things that they look at is basically new home construction. And what the thing is, new home construction is basically, I think, topped out, you know, in terms of uh, basically structural problems with how many homes you can produce. You know, you've got uh, uh, problems in that industry because of uh, lack of skilled workers. Um, you know, lack of buildable lots. It takes time to improve lots for uh, home uh, price increases in materials, lengthening delivery times. Uh, the lengthening delivery times is a big problem in new home construction because you can't sell the thing uh, until you've got your toilets and, and cabinets and showers and everything else installed. And uh, uh, the builders are getting used to. Here comes the truck from the uh, from the plumbing place, and basically half the uh, uh, half the order is back uh, back uh, ordered. So uh, uh, you can't finish these places, and the, the finishing is getting stretched out. And also, you're also seeing uh, the prices are going up, and the uh, uh, the uh, Interest rates are going up too. But the latest report that comes out from the uh, monthly new home construction uh, report comes out from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and that keeps track of new construction. And they say, okay, uh, start uh, for uh, starts for March. Uh, we're basically up uh, three tenths of a percent from February. And uh, starts in March were up uh, 3.9% from uh, March a year ago. And permits, uh, uh, March uh, permits for building were up four tenths of a percent from February and up 6.7% from March a year ago. So, uh, so basically, what you're seeing is that uh, uh, single families. The emphasis right now, as you're seeing in these reports, is that the emphasis is changing from uh, single-family to multifamily. In other words, when the COVID first hit, uh, people wanted to get out of the city, and they basically wanted to get into single-family homes with yards and stuff like that and more room if the kids were uh, uh, homes, you know, being schooled at home through the web and things of this nature. So now the shift is going back to multifamily. For instance, in uh, if we take a look at March versus February, uh, single-family permits were down 4.8%. Uh, multifamily permits were up 10.9%. Starts uh, for single-family uh, homes down 1.7%. Starts for multifamily up seven and a half percent. If you compare it to a year ago, March uh, 2022 to March 2021, the permits for single family down almost four percent 
uh, permits for multifamily up 33.6%. Starts for single-family down 4.4%. Starts for multifamily up 28.1%. So basically what you're seeing is that, hey, uh, we're doing more business, more home construction, in 2022 than we did in 2021. So we're moving in that direction. But uh, there's all sorts of cost constraints that is basically slowing the whole system down. Even though if we take a look at uh, 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 2000 and, uh, uh, 2021 versus 2020, what we see is the permits were up 18%. The starts were up 16%. Uh, this year, uh, what we're seeing so far this year, uh, year to date, that's January, February, and March, uh, is that the single family starts were up six tenths of a percent. Multifamily starts were up close to 20%. Uh, and the permits were also up the same way, you know, smaller numbers for the single family, larger numbers for the uh, multifamily. So uh, construction is is not hurting at all other than the usual structural constraints about not enough workers, not enough land, not enough uh, deliveries, uh, stretched out deliveries and everything else. So they're doing the, the, they're maxed out, so to speak. Now you take a look at uh, uh, existing home sales, you get a little bit different picture. Uh, there you get a picture of uh, uh, there isn't that much uh, supply um, homes for sale and, and the uh, the prices are going up and the interest rates are going up. So uh, the total existing home sales that include single family homes, townhouses, condominiums and co-ops that uh, dropped 2.7% uh, in March from uh, February. And uh, and then year over year, March of this year versus March of last year, uh, this year was down 4.5%. According to the National Association of Realtors Chief Economist, Lawrence Young, the housing market is starting to feel the impact of sharply rising mortgage rates and higher inflation taking a hit on the purchasing power. But still, homes are selling rapidly, and home price gains remain in the double digits. So, uh, you know, Young uh, continues that uh, with mortgage expecting to uh, rise farther, he predicts that the transactions to contract to slow down by 10% uh, this year for, and home prices uh, to readjust and for gains to grow around 5% this year. And uh, what you're seeing is that the selection of homes for sale is still low versus uh, past history. And uh, total housing inventory for sale at the end of March uh, is basically up from February, but uh, uh, still only reflected a two-month supply at the present uh, sales pace. That should be more like a four to five month supply in a, in a reasonable market. And the median existing home price 
uh, moved up to $375,300, which is basically up, which is basically up uh, 15% from March a year ago. So uh, that's that's true for different parts of the country. For instance, if you break it down into the four parts of the country, like Northeast, Midwest, South, and uh, uh, West, what you see is in the Midwest, uh, the average price is 271. The median price is 271,000, and the uh, uh, increase in the price is uh, over the last 12 months is 10.4 percent. So, uh, what do you expect? You know, it's basically prices are going up, housing prices are going up, uh, mortgage costs are going up. Uh, and the uh, number of houses that are moving is going down. So uh, this is Jim Mackley. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Basically, when I talked about the, the manufacturing and things of this nature, uh, the uh, manufacturing and the service industries are doing great, uh, according to the standard for global flash uh, purchasing managers index. So what you're seeing is that the service industries are doing great, manufacturing is doing great, and uh, uh, the economy is in reasonable shape. So uh, this is Jim McAleese. Stay tuned up. Okay. <laughs> you know, when I'm taking a look at what's going on in the stock market and the, and the bond market, the bond market is going up uh, The, the uh, uh, just because the Federal Reserve is increasing the interest rate. Signaling ahead how much they're going to increase them. So that's not a big thing. Uh, in the case of bonds, you just got to move your bonds. And your bond funds down to the low duration, low maturities. So this is Jim McAuley. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Club. It was once said that when people watch the evening news, the news reporter always opens their newscast with good morning or good evening, and then proceeds to go on and tell why it isn't a good morning or a good evening. It's been said that every one negative thing that a person says to another person, that individual needs to say seven positive things back to the person that spoke uh, negatively to cancel out that one negative comment. So, here's some words of encouragement. One, remember, don't let people steal the joy from your life. You look at, look for something positive every day. And then, always, always believe that good things are on the way. Things will get better. It may be stormy now, but remember, it never rains forever. And, the best things in life are the people you love, the people, the places you go, and the memories you make. And when you're feeling down, 
All you have to take, do is take a deep breath. It's a bad day, not a bad life. Remember that old saying, this too will pass. And remember that anyone can find dirt on someone, but the person, be the person who finds the gold. And a question, here's a question. Why do you, why do we close our eyes when we pray, when we cry, when we dream, when we kiss? It's because the most beautiful things in life are not seen, but are felt, but are felt by the heart. And you have to choose to be happy. A happy life doesn't mean everything around you is perfect. It means choosing to be happy, despite knowing the fact that life can never be perfect. So, beautiful people always wear a smile. There's only three things that people need in life. Food, water, and compliments. So, let that life surprise you. And until we meet, and until we meet again next week, the more get rich flow. Remember, may God protect you and keep you safe. And with that in mind, invest in your mind, invest in your heart, invest in yourself. So, until we meet again next week. May God bless us. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.